0: At first, I started going to rummage sales because we had to leave some stuff in Wisconsin. So I'm always looking for little things like, oh, I had to leave that in Wisconsin. I'm going to get that here now. But I also want to do that because I want to get out there into the community and just meet people. I love meeting people. I'm a talker, as you know. I'm, a, I'm that type A personality. So I get to a rummage sale. i don't just put my hands in my pocket and go, oh, what do you got here? I'm starting to talk with someone. Oh, I'm new to the area. And just, oh, you know. then of course, it always comes to either... What do I do for an occupation or something? Or I'll see a Bible on the table. Oh, this is great, you know. And so I love doing that conversation. And I love buying books. This summer in one of the books that we purchased was this note. I'm going to be careful when I open it because it's pretty old. And it's falling apart. And judging by the paper and by the way it's written, if you take a look at how we write today, it's very different than it was... 50 years ago compared to even 100 years ago the handwriting this is what this letter says Nancy and it says baby I wish I could be there in person to put this on your finger and ask, your, ask you to marry me but I will have to do it this way honey will you marry me Merry Christmas, honey. I love you with all my heart and soul. George. Wow! I mean, this is, this is a gem to find this in the book. And right away, uh, my wife was the one who said, hey, look what was in this book. And I was like, what? And I was like, where did we get this? I, we couldn't, I couldn't remember where, so I would love to go back to the house and say, because I want to know the story. Who is this George. What were, and I want to know the circumstances that have George say, I cannot give this to you in person. And in my mind right away, especially by the age of this, I'm thinking this probably was around World War II. Right away my mind just thinks that because I'm a military mind thinking. I think this is probably he was in the army or something or in the navy. He was military. And this is the only way that he could send the note, here's the ring, will you marry me? He's off. So part of me wants to say, what was his story around this, but then I started thinking, what's more important? Now? I really want to know what happened? Did she say yes? Did she go, you're a bum, you should have gave this to me, you know, who cares if the past was closed? Get across the past. don't just say, you know. But I'm thinking, if this was military, he's probably off in the European theater or the Pacific theater and just, what's going on here? Did they hook up? Was this house the children or the grandchildren of this? No. Why did I get what happened to this story? Nancy and George. Did they get married? Did they have kids? Are they around us right now? What, wouldn't you like to know the story? You know what? I don't know the rest of the story, and that's the rest of the story. I, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that here. Do you know sometimes, when we read the Old Testament, if you just read like one chapter? Sometimes you just go, well, I wish I knew the, the story around this. Because sometimes when you read the Old Testament, not knowing the story, you just go, what does this even mean? Especially when you read Leviticus, you just go, wow. The, what, what? I wish I knew the surrounding story. And we've been doing that for months. Going the way of the cross. Looking at how the Old Testament points to the cross. And it's so important when you read the Old Testament, not just to think, like in this letter, what was the story surrounding George? Where was he? What's going on? Really, what happened? What happened with that story of George and Nancy? When we read the Old Testament, we have the privilege to know what happened. Amen? We have the New Testament. And we see the beauty of this So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then the kids will be dismissed, okay? So let me pray and then kids, you'll be dismissed. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege of your word that we don't have to live in the mystery as I do of Nancy and George. We see what you have done in the plan, in the story, in the history of redemption. And Lord, I pray that you guide us today as we look... Again, at the beauty of the law and how it points to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So little kids, if you want to be dismissed, you can. And if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We have some extra Bibles. Because I encourage you, today we're going to be definitely looking at some passages. Last Sunday, we looked at how Jesus transformed the law. Was that not just... Beautiful how not only does the law have that interconnectedness, but Jesus transforms the law, he fulfills it and brings it to a deeper, greater, grander level. He calls us to something greater. But in all of the commandments we have, there's many of them in the Old Testament. Does anybody know how many there are? The law of 600 and what? Thirteen, Very good. 613. Some of the kids in youth group were like, hey, we just talked about that last night. Good memory. 613. Of all of these, what would you say is the most important or the, the greatest? I mean, if you would just pen them all out, you know, you, you might just read some of it, especially when you get to Leviticus or something. You might go, well, is this one more important than this one? Is there a greater? Is there a lesser? Is there some that protect What? Do you know... We don't have to be like this letter here of Nancy and George. We have what? We have the rest of the story. So turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And here is Jesus. And he's around religious people, people who love the law. Not in the way I would say you should love the law. They loved it, remember last week, how people, how humans love to transform the law and treat it in a different way. They like to make it very legalistic, very narrow, or make it fit themselves or ignore parts of the law. Matthew 22. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest one? And again, I love how Jesus transforms the law. He just doesn't say, here's the law, this is what it was, get your ducks in a row... Get it all done. He goes beyond the law. Instead of just don't steal, he goes beyond it. Give your cloth away. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And here, I would say, this sounds kind of weird, we have a crossed shape example of what the commandments all depend on. We have the vertical love God and the Horizontal, love others. You got that? So there is an aspect of loving God and loving others. The vertical aspect is, the axis is giving a life to God. Loving God. That's what Christ has called us to do. And we talked about that last week. To know God's character, remember this, to know God's character is to follow His character is to share His character. Be holy. Total devotion. The problem is this. Many people love to go to the law and say, oh, I like this law. This law is fitting to me. This one doesn't. Jesus focuses, especially if you look at the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the first four are very God-centered. Love God. Not just this law, this law, this law. He calls for total devotion. Total devotion. Total obedience. Again, it's not, how am I going to make some room for God? How am I going to give up something for Lent? Let me just give up coffee. Ooh, I give up chocolate. Jesus goes beyond that. Everything. Everything total devotion love God with all your heart with all your being we are to be in this holy covenantal relationship with God it's the natural response to deliverance, is it not? Exodus 14 the people have been saved that comes first then chapter 20 follow me, obey me this is the law It's the natural response to someone who's been saved. We are to love God with all our heart, all our being. This vertical worship leads to a horizontal restoration. And we are to have an unstoppable passion for God. Do you have that? The question is, do people around you notice that? If I would go to your place of employment, would people say, Yeah, that person, he or she, they are different. They have a passion that, I don't, it's, it's unearthly, yes, because it's a passion for God. Jesus looks even at the Ten Commandments and summarizes the first four by saying, Love God. Here he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love God with your total being. The vertical axis, of our life is to love God. But like I said, vertical worship leads to a horizontal restoration. And the aspect doesn't just stop with God, it reaches out to others. The second commandment, it's horizontal. And the last of the six in the Ten Commandments, love others. Love others. All that we should be doing should be tempered by love, not law. Love. I love how Jonathan Edwards says this, if love is the sum of Christianity, listen to this, if love is the sum of Christianity, surely those things which overthrow love are exceedingly unbecoming as Christians. As envious Christian a malicious Christian a cold-hearted Christian it's the greatest absurdity and contradiction it is as if one should speak of dark brightness or a false truth how absurd dark brightness how absurd a cold Christian hard-hearted Christian that's absurd now, some of you know what an oxymoron is. Some of you work with oxymorons, maybe. You're like, okay. Some of you have bosses where you're in your brain, you're going, that's an oxymoron. Words like this, jumbo shrimp, that doesn't make sense. Two words that seem to contradict each other, put in a phrase that doesn't make sense. Or, that's a big baby you have. It's a baby. How can it be big? Or, as a friend of mine who was in the army, he said, I worked for the army intelligence what a, is there such a thing as army intelligence? Or if you work in the shipyard, you might be going, is there such a thing as a navy intelligence? How can this be? There's there's, there's, there's a contradiction here. Two words that don't seem to fit. Or, can you tie a loose knot for me? Well, how can that be a loose knot? It's a knot. a notch, well, That doesn't make sense. But these words are figures of speech that have parent contradiction in terms. That's not what I'm speaking of here. This is a true contradiction. A stubborn Christian. Cold-hearted. Malicious. Angry in your heart. Unforgiving Christian. This cannot be, or as Edward said, it's unbecoming It's the greatest absurdity and contradiction. We must have love. Christ just boils it down. You want to follow the law? Here it is. Have the upward. Love God. Total devotion. Secondly, love others. Love them completely. And I love them the... Matthew chapter five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I tell you, he goes beyond. But the problem is this, and this is where I almost want to grab a chair again and sit down. In this cross-shaped lifestyle we are to live, the vertical and the horizontal. The problem is, I fail. Pastor Cody is not perfect. Good thing the kids are left, because some of them think I am. Yeah. I am bad. I have failed. Again, here's the law. The law what? It expresses God's character. That's the beauty of the law. And I love that. I love reading parts of the law, because it expresses the, the holiness, the great character of God. It expresses His will to maintain relationship with Him. I love that. But what's the next part? It exposes my sin. Man, let me give you an example. I showed you an old note, but here's two notes that I know the story about. When I was a kid, I think I was in junior high, Brian Bellin and I we went to school together in Appleton, Wisconsin, a little Christian school, and I would get these yellow notes all the time. It's called corrective action notice. reasons for, it's, it says reason or there's an s in there to make sure you know it's multiple some of you teachers are smiling cuz you understand this and you're probably glad I wasn't one of your students here reasons for corrective action talking without permission check check there's two of them there goals incomplete not set other no homework slip or note about being sick i and the the Fifty minutes after school. Ouch, here's another one. Reasons for corrective... Talking without permission. Check, check, check. <laughs> Three of them. Forty-five minutes after school. Can you imagine if you had one of these every day? Can you imagine if you would just take this week? If I would get photocopy of these, white out my, uh, my stuff, or let's, let's speak... Modern language, whiteout, what's whiteout today, right? Okay, I scan these, and then I, uh, computer imagery, get rid of all this stuff, and someone will walk behind you with one of these and go, oh, talking without permission. Some of you feel like you have, your boss has these. Don't you feel like that sometimes? You're like, oh, please. How many of you would have many yellow slips each day, right? Okay. A lot of checks. The problem is this. We fail. We are bad. This past week, I screwed up. Pastor Cody failed. I still cannot maintain the law. Here's the cool thing about your failure. We know the past story. We were born in sin. We, we we're prone to this. This is our nature. Our heart can do it. But we know the rest of the story. And that's the cross. When God looks at you today, He doesn't follow you with a bunch of yellow notes like this. Praise God. You know what He does? When He sees you, He doesn't even see your goodness. He sees Christ. His righteousness on you. Isn't that amazing? So you can look at this, and I don't know why I still carry this around. Don't worry, I don't have this in my wallet all the time. I just happened to be digging through a bunch of stuff recently. I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, look at this. I'm a good boy. No, I'm a blabber. Look at this, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Christ has come. And here's the great issue. God has set up His plan for redemption even in Genesis. Exodus 14, the gospel message in the Old Testament. He knew that people were would need peace. Peace with Him and peace with others. And the only way that can happen is through Christ. But the world is longing for peace. Just go to the news. Look at any newspaper. The world is in desperation for peace. Amen? I mean, we think about it. We just look at what's happening. I pray for our country. I pray for our world because our world needs peace. But our world is messed up. In fact, I went to the internet and I went to the, to the UN website to see what they would think, what they would say, what is their way of resolving and figuring out how to bring peace to the world. And this was on their website. This is, I just cut and paste. Here's some of the words they think we can obtain peace. Some of these things I love, but some of them I scratch my head and say, you know what? You really can't do it that way. Pluralism. Will that bring peace? Autonomy. Will that bring peace? It. Trust me. I'm very all about myself. That cannot bring peace. You read the Old and the New Testament. Being autonomous will not bring peace. Having shared values, yeah, that can be good for a bit. Think of some of these words. Belonging, sharing, fairness. When I saw the word fairness, I just realized true fairness means I deserve eternal punishment. God is just. And He would be just to condemn us forever. But, in His great love, the eternal Son of God took on flesh. So that, and we'll go back to the other slide, this God, man, loving God, loving man, He is the only way to bring peace. The world is desperate for peace. The world is coming with new laws to make peace that won't do it. Don't they get it? You think some of our elected officials would have gone through history class like I did and realized that more laws and regulations don't really bring peace. More laws will not do it. You can't change the heart by laws. Right? You can't do it. Just like the lady who cut my hair saying, so what's the church's view on guns? Really, guns aren't the issue. It's the heart of the man is the issue we are in desperate need for peace with God and with man. Where can we get this peace? Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians, what a great book. Truly, truly, one of my favorite books in Scripture. Ephesians read Ephesians every week Ephesians chapter 2 we are desperate for peace just look at the first couple verses as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live and follow the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at once, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of Wrath. That's justice. That's fairness. Verse fourteen. Think of all the yellow slips you could have stacked up forever. Verse fourteen. For he, Christ or just let me let me go up to thirteen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the what? The blood of Christ. The cross did it. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility. He brought peace with God and peace with man verse 15 by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations he, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two thus making peace In the cross, we see that the law wasn't just throw the law out. It's not that. He, this word again, is fulfilled it. He fulfilled what the law was pointing to. It was pointing to this purpose found in him. And he completes it. And in this, we have peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace the end of 15. And this peace is not just absence of conflict. That's what the world wants. Let's just have everyone no more fighting and everything is okay. But they don't deal with the heart. Christ came to deal with your heart. He just doesn't come and say, oh these yellow slips let me do this, let me rip them up and they're all gone, it's good on your good. He deals with the core issue. What's that? He deals with our heart. He brings peace with us and God and with others. This is profound. This peace is completeness, not just absence of conflict. Completeness, wholeness, healing, reconciliation with God. How? Through the blood of the Lamb. And this is the beauty When we celebrate communion, I want you to think of this cross-shaped lifestyle we are to have. When we celebrate communion, when we think of the cross, he has brought peace with us and God. He is the one that brought peace. We are to celebrate in the communion this peace with God, the vertical aspect. And that's where I think, especially Years and years ago, with the, with the church, they used to say this many times, they'd say, the peace of Christ to you. The peace of Christ to you. To remind the people, oh, the peace of Christ. I now have peace with God. All these yellow slips, even if I would go a day without a yellow slip, which is impossible, especially for me, I have peace because of what Christ has done on the cross When he looks at me, he doesn't look at my goodness. He looks at Christ's goodness. The peace of Christ. So again, let me say this again. When we celebrate communion, this peace with God, the vertical aspect, we should think of the peace of Christ to you. But also we celebrate communion, and we think of the horizontal aspect. Peace to you. Christ not only brings peace with us and God but peace with each other harmony unity I'm amazed as I read the gospels over and over again how many times the focus of Christ was not doctrine by this they will know your christians by your good sound doctrine by this you'll know your christians by your cute short haircuts and ties and all no by this you'll know your Christians. By how you follow every aspect of the law. What is it? By this you'll know your Christians by what? By your love. Love. And in the way that we show love, one of the greatest ways, I see this in Scripture, Jesus, is unity. Togetherness. And it's interesting. I find this as I'm we're com, coming up, I've kind of been praying and mapping out, okay, Lord, when I'm here for a year. Then I'm just going to start buckling and let's start digging into people. (laughs) Yes, it should be. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Because here's the problem. Some of you love coming on Sunday with this great facade. I'm doing fine. I have no yellow slips. Praise God. I've been going to church my whole life. And you love keeping people at bay at a distance. Because you're afraid if people really saw your heart, they saw all of your yellow slips that you have, you would be like, they would not want to hang around me. My prayer is this, that as we get to know each other, we now begin to get to know each other. That we, and I want to start pushing us, stretching us, that we now hang out together, not just for a meal, not just to be like, oh, let's get together for a meal and hang out. No, that we would have peace with God. I want to grow you deep, but also I want to grow you together. So my goal this next year is, how can we be together? Because you know what? We're very different. We're very different. I'm a Midwestern boy, and some of you are deep washingtonians in fact washington's people right that's that, if you say it that way then you for sure you're from washington yeah. right you got that r in there somehow i don't know how it fits but it's there but we are very different background ethnic wise age wise i love the diversity in our church many of you have kids my age how can we be unified You know, it's easy for us if you've been in the church your whole life to think, oh, peace, peace of Christ. Yep, peace, yep, me and God. Okay, Christ has come. I'm supposed to love God. But how do we love people? We got this part of the cross, but we don't have this part, the horizontal part. And I say this. I can play naive only for a short time. In our church we still have a little tension. Some of it's not just with people in this church, but some of you have tension. Well, I'm going to step on some toes here, so you might as well stick them out, because I'm coming. Some of you have tension with your former church. Some of you still are carrying issues of bitterness, unforgiveness. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait. That is a contradiction. Remember Edwards? That would be like bright darkness. You, that's absurd. How can you still have bitterness and unforgiveness in view of the cross with your former church? Praise God we have a new church so I can hide here and no one really knows me because all the people I used to go to they know all my stories and they know like, oh. And you're here hiding. I challenge you. I urge you. I plead with you. Make that right. Because that is absurd to have a bitter heart, to have unforgiveness. Because look at the beauty of what Christ has done by forgiving you. How could you not forgive others? So today, we're going to celebrate communion. And for some of you, it will be easy to celebrate this union that Christ has brought, this vertical He has brought, Christ has brought, God and I, we now have relationship. And if you don't have that, if that's not clear with you right now, take time, get your heart right. Amen? But secondly, is this aspect. If you have any Thing going on in your heart towards someone else another believer, another church someone in this church right here if you're on this side of the room because they're on that side of the room and it's time to get cookies okay they got their cookie let me sneak around and, I, and you avoid them do not take communion until you get that right in your heart and you go to them and say I need to make peace And here's the hard thing, sometimes we're unable to vocalize peace to the other person because they are so wrapped up in other things, sinful things or other, you just can't do it. Does that make sense? Or sometimes they have passed on and are gone and you can't make peace. You can still make peace in your heart with forgiveness, amen? And some of you need to say, I need to." make forgiveness in my heart towards so-and-so and and I can't do it right now because of the situation they're in or because I just there's no way we can communicate I need to do that right now how could you not for the love of God do that before we partake in the beautiful aspect of peace so let me pray as we get ready our hearts for communion (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.